Let's just start off with a quick question. What is the price of forgiveness? And I don't want you to really answer this question out loud, but just think to yourself, what is the highest price you ever demanded for your forgiveness? What was the price they had to pay? What was the cost that they had to pay in order to gain your forgiveness? And and I'm not even talking about, you know, when the lawyers got involved or anything like that. Uh, Just the simple interactions of your life, you know, your day-to-day with your coworkers, your family, your friends, they messed up and they had to find a way to make it up to you, right? What What was the highest price that you ever received for that? And maybe it wasn't even something that you asked for. Maybe they did something to make it up to you that was unexpected. You know, maybe they bought the next round. Maybe they bought you dinner. Or maybe your Christmas gift that year was spectacular, right? Um, what, what was it that, that price, how high was it? I, uh, I don't mean to make light of it. I recognize that it's, a, it's an emotional thing for many people, but... When um, the tragic death of Kobe Bryant happened, I was reminded of a story that happened earlier on in his life where he had made a huge mistake in his marriage. And in order to make up to his wife what he had done, he bought her a rare pink diamond that I think cost him close to a million dollars. And I still remember the comedians of the time that were talking about it and they're going, she's gonna see if he can mess up again, get another ring right? Like, we, we have such a arbitrary and strange way of determining what our forgiveness is, is worth, right? I mean, there's some people that could make, up, make a huge mistake in our lives, and we would just kind of brush it off and not think much of it. And then there's those people that bring 20 items into the 15-item aisle, and we are like, oh, there is a special place in hell for them, right? That we, we tend to have such an arbitrary way of thinking about what our forgiveness is worth, you know? Uh, and, and it doesn't make sense all the time either. I mean, uh, if you have siblings, uh, they, they have to pay extra usually, right? Uh, but, you know, there's the people that are important in our lives or that have some kind of power over us, a boss or something like that, and we're like, hey, no big deal, you know? Uh, such a strange thing that we do. And, and I, I wanted to start there because during this series that we have been going through about baby steps, we have looked at the important part of us setting things right with God. That our first steps back toward God are all God-related. We, we recognize that our life isn't going the way that we think it should or the way that we think God would want it to. You know, we pause and we say, along with Paul in Romans chapter 7, you know, the things that I don't want to do, those are exactly what I do, and the things that I know I shouldn't do, that's exactly what happens. Uh, that we try to do good and we fail, or we try and do good and it doesn't go the way that we think it would. And not only that, but we just continually feel separated from God. But God lovingly intervenes in our life, God graciously acts in our lives, and awakens us and helps us to realize where we are in our lives, and um, slowly begins to help us take step by step by step back to where God would have our lives to be, filled with happiness and joy and hope and, 
And along that way, along that process, part of those steps, those initial things that we have to do is we work our way back toward God, back toward where God would want us to be in the image that he created us to be. Uh, one of the things that we have to do is take some time and make things right between us and others as well. Now, if you want to kind of anchor this or think about that process, just take, for instance, the, the Ten Commandments. The first five are about our relationship between us and God. You're not going to have other gods before God. You're not going to have idols. You're going to obey the Sabbath. Uh, those are all things that are meant to help us repair our relationship with God. And then the other parts of it, the other Ten Commandments, they're about our relationship with other people, right? We're not going to steal from them. We're certainly not going to murder them. Uh, we are not going to covet their livestock, because who does that, right? And then uh, we're going to make sure that things are good between us and others. But why? Because God made our world to be one that is filled with peace and hope and love. And when we do those things that damage our relationship with others, it becomes impossible. And so part of our calling, not only in the Ten Commandments, but, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And right there in the center of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer. And it has that line right in the middle of it as well. Forgive us our debts as we forgive the debts of others. We need to have not only our relationship right with God, but also with other people. And that's not always easy. Like I said, our understanding of forgiveness is arbitrary. It's confused. And we have some deep questions about, are there certain times or certain people that shouldn't be forgiven or, or could not be forgiven? You know, we could probably all think of people in the history of the world and we go, could they possibly ever atone for what they did. You know? But thankfully, we're not the first people to deal with that question. In fact, the Bible is chock full of stories that deal specifically just with that. And one of those stories uh, we're going to hear today. And to do that, I'm going to have Jonathan Martin take over from here. check all right man for some odd reason like the holy spirit just spoke to me to go get a battery a second ago and i went and put one in my pocket i'm glad i did <laughs> man i'm enjoying this series of baby steps because let's just face it um just as a christian in my walk sometimes it's hard to take those leaps of faith um and it's even hard to take baby steps uh, but i'm much more likely to take a little step than a huge step and so if you're like me if sometimes you just feel like you're taking baby steps, that's okay. Uh, one of the great things about God is God's grace. One of the things that we know so well. And so I want you to just think about this for a second. When you go to take a, when you have a, a baby, they're learning to walk, little bitty guy, little bitty girl, and uh, they take their first little baby step, and they take their second little baby step, and you let go of their hands, and all of a sudden they're trying to t take some steps on their own, and then boom. 
They fall down on their face. What's your reaction? You're excited about it. My kid just took their first steps. You're not upset with them that they fell. You're excited that they tried, right? You remember those days? Isn't it great that we have a God that sees us the same way, that when we're willing to go out and take some baby steps, God looks at us and says, good job. Let's get up and try again. Let's keep going with this thing. And so we're going to turn to the story of Zacchaeus. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through 10 this morning. And I, I believe that Zacchaeus feels like he's about to take some baby steps, but for him, by the end of this story, he's going to take an incredible leap of faith, an entire jump. In fact, I would say that this guy is, has bounded mountains by the end of this story, not because he did it in his own power, but because he did it in the grace of God. And so if you'll turn with me, we're going to start right here in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. A man named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Man, I love this story. It's actually one of my two favorite stories to preach from, so I'm just kind of thankful. Like, Rick was like, Hey, you want to help me out with this one? I was like, Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> and one of the great things about this story is I can relate with Zacchaeus and this story on so many different levels, and I'm sure that you can as well. But first off, I kind of think we need to look at who Zacchaeus was. So it says Zacchaeus is the tax collector. Uh, in other versions of it, it says he's the chief tax collector, which basically means that everyone hates him. Anybody a friend of the IRS out there? And even worse, he's not just the tax collector for the Jewish people. He also works with the Romans. And so basically, if you want to kind of put it in today's terms, I had heard one theologian kind of put it this way. He's like the chief mob boss of the area. Like he's working with the enemy, and he's taking everything from, the, from his own people. And so he's, he's a Jew, but he's cast out because they're like, yeah, you're a sinner, you're evil, you got to go over there, we don't want anything to do with you, you just come shake us down for money. Like, when I think of Zacchaeus, I think of him and his goons, like, coming around, like, in the cartoons where they, like, hold you upside down and shake all the money out. <laughs> and that's how, they, that's how these guys made their money. That's how it's described as if you were a tax collector. One, you took up taxes, you went and collected them. But anything you could cheat or swindle or convince someone to give you on top of that goes right in your own pocket. Right? How many of you would be friends with a person like that? Would anybody be really mad at somebody like that? Let me, let me be more specific. Has anyone ever had somebody steal money from you? Or steal your identity? 
Man, have anybody ever held on a grudge to somebody that did that? Like stolen something, went out of their way? We kind of like to hold a grudge on people like that. And so they don't don't like Zacchaeus at all. And so Zacchaeus, it says he's a rich man. So he's comfortable. He's like up there living on, like living large. He's got servants. He's got a really nice house. He's got people taking care of things. But he's completely isolated and alone. He's just kind of lonely out there. It's weird how you can have everything but have nothing. And so Zacchaeus, he's kind of, I feel like he's kind of up on what's going on because he has to stay on top of things, knowing what's going on in the towns. And he hears about this guy named Jesus. And he's been hearing about it for, for a couple months now. And all of a sudden he hears that Zac, Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming into town. Zacchaeus is like, I want to see what this, this whole thing's about. What is, this, what is this big fuss about this guy named Jesus? I want to find out what's going on. And so Zacchaeus... He takes off, and he runs into town. And I feel like people are just kind of like, great, Zacchaeus here. What's going to happen next? But then it says Zacchaeus, he's like, I'm, he's a little bitty guy, a little in stature. So he climbs up this tree. And I don't know about you, but I don't know any, too many adult males that are climbing trees these days. Uh, like, I almost find it like he's, it's almost a demeaning position for Zacchaeus to be in. Like, the only time I see a, an adult male climbing a tree is like they're playing with their kids, right? They're, they're trying to have fun. But this guy's like, I don't care what it is. I want to see who this guy is. I, I am curious. I am beyond myself. I need to know who this Jesus figure is. And so he can't get through the crowd. And nobody really likes him. So they're not like, no, nah, you ain't coming through here, bro. And so he climbs up the tree, and it says that Jesus is passing by. And he looks straight up at him and says, Zacchaeus. Come on down. I'm coming to your house today. And really, this is just kind of one of this, these, uh, these amazing moments that happen with Jesus. Like, when I read this story, I know it says that Zacchaeus was kind of like just going through there, and Jesus was just kind of walking through town. But when I read this, this part of the passage where it says that Jesus walked straight up to the tree and just looked straight up at him, I, I get the overwhelming feeling that Jesus was there on purpose. He was intentional about being there at that moment to meet Zacchaeus in that tree and so he just looks up at him. And how many of us can say that we've had some Zacchaeus in our own life where we've been kind of feeling alone and kind of distant from God, and yet it's the grace of God, the grace of Jesus, that walks straight into our mess and straight into our midst and looks up at us and says, hey, I'm here for you. Let's talk. And then as soon as Jesus says this, the entire crowd, the haters in the room, they look at, look at him and says, Of course Jesus is going to hang out with the sinners again. What is up with this guy? Here I am. I'm way cooler than Zacchaeus. I've been doing everything right. I'm a good person. Jesus, why aren't you coming to my house? Why don't you come hang out with me, Zacchaeus? I mean, Jesus, you're going to hang out with Zacchaeus? He's he's the sinner. He's evil. He's messed up. He hangs out with the Romans. Jesus, why aren't you with me? How many of us could say that we've had this attitude towards other people like, why did they get the blessing and I didn't? God, why are you taking care of them and and I'm over here struggling? Lord, they live a messed up life and they seem to have it all together. You seem to be blessing them up one way and down the other. And I have to be honest, I can be this way too. In fact, uh, so I work as a DJ. I know that probably most of you all know that. So on the weekends, I've been doing that for like 20 years this month, something like that. And so there's an artist that I particularly hate, just being honest. Um... He's a, he's, a, he's a rapper. His name is Kanye West. Anybody heard of Kanye West before? 
And as being a good Christian person, uh, over the past decade, uh, Mr. Kanye West started calling himself Jesus with a Y. And he started doing like really weird things and like trying to talk like he was the, like God and made this really like raunchy music. And people were like, play, my, play his songs. And I was like, no, I ain't doing it. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Kanye West comes out and he's like, I think I'm a Christian, y'all. And he puts out this album saying, God is king, and it's just, Jesus is king. And I'm sitting here looking at it like, do what? You can't help this guy. There's no hope of redemption for Kanye West. Like this guy, I mean, he cusses every five seconds. He thinks that he himself is God. He's got a God complex. Like there's, there's no way that this is happening. And so I come into the, the situation very skeptical. Anybody been skeptical? Like, God can help that person. God can help me, but he definitely can't help you. And that's basically what, where these people's opinion is at. And can I just say that as I've been watching Kanye over the past couple months, man, I'm starting his new album. I'm jamming that thing. The kids are jamming that thing. And it's powerful. It's kind of like raw Christianity. It's kind of like in its baby steps. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense in like the theology department. Like I can pull it apart the theologically, but I can see the difference that Christ has made in his life. Like he's going out and putting on uh, what we would call a concert, but what he calls Sunday services. And thousands of people are coming to know Jesus because of what Kanye is doing. Like, isn't that amazing? And so here we are grumbling. I'm with you. And, he, and Jesus goes to his house, and it, they have a conversation, and I believe they just kind of ate and hung out because that's what Jesus did. And he doesn't give us really, like, the idea of everything that's said. He doesn't even tell us, um, which is probably a good thing uh, because we're Methodists. And if we knew the conversation, we would immediately have a Zacchaeus ministry, and we would try to emulate uh, the method in which Jesus uh, converted this man. Okay, nobody laughed at that. <laughs> but at the end of this, at the end of this conversation, I can just imagine Zacchaeus just overwhelmed by the love of Jesus in this moment where Jesus came and walked into his world. And Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, I love you, man. Everything's going to be all right. I'm here with you. I'm here for you. I love you. I've got your back. And this this representation of love and acceptance that Zacchaeus hasn't known in years sparks and changes something in him. The Bible says that God loved us first. And now we respond to that love. And he responds to that love and he says, look, something's changed in me. Jesus, I want to go and make things right because things are right with you and me. I want to make things right with the world. So he stands up and I just can imagine him just making this declaration. I'm going to give half of everything that I have to the poor. And any person that I've cheated, I'm going to give them back four times as much. Now, here's where we kind of struggle as a people. We get to this place where, like, well, the Lord forgave me. I'm good with Jesus. Jesus and I are good. God forgave me. And we look at kind of like the people that we've hurt, the people that we've kind of messed over, the people that we've done wrong to. 
the people that we've slandered, the people we've talked bad about, the people we've stolen from. And we say, how come, how come you and I aren't on good terms? Can I just say that one of the baby steps beyond just you and God being okay is that we begin to go and make reparations, that we begin to go make things right with us and people as well. Like God wants things to be good with him, and he makes it easy. He says grace on grace on grace. But there's this other thing that, it's a big churchy word that I grew up on. It took me a while to figure out what it really means. I'm still working on it. Repentance. Repentance means to turn around and go the other way, to, to walk towards God. And I believe in walking towards God. The greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind. And the second is like it, to love other people as yourself. Some of us are, we're like, I love the Lord, but I hate people. Can I just say you really can't do that? You really can't love God and hate the things that God loves. We're so quick to pick and choose who should come to heaven. We need to stop that. We need to realize that, that this man who lived in isolation says that he was a son of Abraham. And by the end of it, he just says, he really is a son of Abraham. And you guys forgot. You left him out there on, in the cold and on his own, and this is how he got so messed up. But I've come and I've brought him back into the fold. I've come and brought him back home to be a part. The Bible says that we're children of God. I think it's time for us to begin to act and to live like we're children of God. Full of grace, full of love, full of mercy, full of forgiveness. That's my baby step for this week. Thank you, Jonathan. It is a beautiful story, and I just want you to think for a moment <clears throat> back to when you first heard it. Uh, maybe it's new to you, but you know, if you grew up in the church, it's probably one of the first ones you ever learned. And I invite you to just think for a moment on you know, back when you were eating your Sunday school cookie and your orange drink, right? And the teacher was telling you about Zacchaeus. How would the story be different if they had just skipped over the step where Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half of everything I own to the poor and pay back everything that I have cheated fourfold? I mean, what if that step wasn't there? If instead of that step being there, it had just gone something like, there once was a man named Zacchaeus, he was vertically challenged, and Jesus came to town, saved him, and then went on to Jerusalem. Yeah. And I think that's many times, that's how we would like for the story to go, especially in our own lives. And so today, I just want to get real practical with you for a moment. We heard the story, you know the message in many ways. But just real practical, I would love for all of us, and I think each of us should do this at least once in our life, to sit down and, and write out a list of people that we have harmed in some way, 
that we have messed up, that we make a list of the names of people in our lives, our friends, our family, our coworkers, that person in the grocery store aisle that made you angry, whatever it was, and you begin to, to say, this is what I did wrong. This was the mistake I made. And maybe it's small, maybe it's huge, but just to go ahead and make that list. And you're thinking, well, yeah, 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 Rick, I get it, I get it, I get it. But there is a magic that happens when you actually take the time to put it on paper and use a pen to write it down. You'll find all kinds of emotions stirring up within you. You'll think about it. You'll probably have some things that you don't enjoy feeling like shame or guilt or sadness or sorrow, regret. But get it out all there on paper. And then pick the smallest one and start there. Don't start with the big, huge mistake you made that you never confessed. Start with the small one and work your way from there. And find a trusted friend, find another Christian, and talk with them about, these are the things that I want to make amends for. These are the mistakes that I made, and here's what I'm thinking about doing. And step by step, piece by piece, follow through like Zacchaeus did. He received grace, and he was willing to find a way to share that grace with other people by restoring his relationships with others as well. I was reminded this week, uh, I did a retreat for some teenagers one time, and it's a group of teenage girls, and they had a part of the retreat where they were invited to ask the pastor questions. And they asked me all kinds of, of strange questions, and then there was one that always stuck with me. One of the girls that was there, she said, should I tell my parents about something I did and then lied to them about? You know? And it's probably something that 99% of all teenagers have to answer, right? Uh, should I tell my dad or my mom that I did this? They asked about it specifically. I lied. I got away with it. And yet, here I am feeling like I should tell them. Now I'm a dad, and of course, you know where I am on these things, right? But I told him that day, I said, do you want them to love you or love a version of you that you're trying to sell them? Do you want them to love who you truly are, mistakes and all, messiness of life and all, or are you trying to get them to love something that really doesn't exist, but you are trying really hard to sell them on? And they went home, and they told their mom what had happened, and it made things better. And I think that's the vision that God has for each of us. If we want peace, we want to live in a just world, we want to live in a place with less conflict, less war, less hatred, then part of that is us admitting our mistakes and making amends for them. So I hope this week you will remember this story, think about the way that God graciously acted in the life of Zacchaeus, make your list out, and maybe church, Maybe you send this idea to your senators <laughs> and say, you messed up this week. Maybe you should fix it. Church, you know that would help. Can you live in that truth? Let us pray. Gracious God, it, it is not easy when we are faced with the reality of the mistakes that we have made or the, 
the fear or the concern or the anxiousness that comes from having to own the mistakes that we have made and share them with other people, that is not something that we find as a, a joyful thing in the moment. But Lord, you have made us and invited us to be made new, to be born again, to have new life in Christ. Our old ways of doing things just don't work anymore. We have to move on. And part of that is to find a way to make up for what has happened in our lives with others. So whether it is something small or something significant, Lord, we pray that your grace and your mercy and your love would lift our eyes up to the possibility of new creation in this world, that no longer would we practice the ways of the old life, the ways that lead to continued hatred and violence, destruction, but instead, Lord, we would set those aside and follow you, that we would pick up your cross, that we would accept the yoke that you have placed upon our shoulders to be your disciples, that this will lead to a life like we never imagined. Help us, Lord, in this week to come as we make our list, as we make amends, and that we take a next step closer to you as we draw closer to others. All these things we pray and ask in Jesus' name.